0: Good morning, SSV family. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. See some new faces in the house today. I also want to welcome our online audience. So glad to have you uh, worshiping with us online. Uh, On this particular Sunday morning, it's like that most Sunday mornings, but on this particular Sunday morning, it's really good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Uh, My heart resonates with the psalmist who says, I was glad when they said to me, uh, let's go into the house of the Lord. Let's worship God on his day, and his house, in the company of his people. On a week like we've had this week, where there are literal wars, and many more rumors of wars, where there is global death and destruction, crime and murders, all kinds of abuse and corruption, There's no place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning than in the house of the Lord. And so I know you had options this morning. You could have stayed in bed. You could have gone to any of the dozens of churches that you passed by to get here, but you're here with us this morning. And so I challenge you on this Sunday morning to lean in. I have the privilege of continuing a teaching series um, that we started a few weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling Seasons of the Soul. And we've been talking about how life and faith teach us that we will inevitably experience the changing seasons of life. Isn't that right? The scriptures teach us to expect, and not just to expect, but to explore, not just to expect and explore, but to appreciate the changing seasons of life. The trick, though, is learning how to thrive and not just survive in the various seasons of life. We're talking about how to thrive in the changing seasons of life and not just how to hang on and just barely make it. This is a helpful discourse because, as we've said week after week, some of us only know how to do well when life is even, right? If we are too wildly successful, we're going to lose our minds. If we get too far into the depths, into the darkness, into the valleys, we'll lose our mind. And some of us are only skilled at managing life that is even and relatively uneventful. And that would be fine if life were even <laughs> and relatively uneventful, but life simply doesn't come in that color. But we all want to get to a place where we are inwardly stabilized with deep and abiding faith regardless of what's happening on the outside. And we begin this series with a challenge from Jesus, and that challenge was simple. Jesus says, build your house on the solid rock. He gave us two choices. You can build the life, the house of your life, on shifting sand that will move on you, or you can build the house of your life on the solid rock, Jesus gives us the answer. He says, build your house on the solid rock. And by solid rock, he means to build your life on him, his life, his truth, his strength, the power of the spirit, his standards and principles that he's given us to govern our life. Life in the kingdom, Jesus says, build your house on that. That alone is a firm foundation. All other ground is what? It's sinking It's sinking sand. All other ground will move under your feet. All other grounds won't stand up in the day of high winds. And so Jesus says, build your house on me if you want to make it. The goal of this series is to examine what it might look like to stand on the solid rock during the different seasons of the soul. Last week, we tackled how to navigate seasons of disappointment. Today, I want to talk about another important season of the soul. And those are those seasons that are marked by fear, marked by worry and anxiety. I'm just curious this morning, has anybody in here ever been afraid? Show of hand, have you ever been afraid? Anybody online, you ever been afraid? Go ahead, and let us know in the comments. Anybody in here ever worried about something? So far, so bad. <laughs> Anybody in here ever been anxious? You say, have I been anxious? I'm anxious right now. I'm anxious that you're talking about anxiousness. (laughs) Fear. Thought. Here's what I know. We all deal with fear on some level. We all deal with fear on some level. To To put it differently, this applies to everyone to varying degrees. We will all deal with moments of fear, worry and anxiety. Some of us will deal with seasons of fear, worry and anxiety. And while others of us are unfortunate enough to have fear, worry and anxiety become a way of life for us, a way of itself around you, in some ways, it can be debilitating. Or unreasonable, fear or anxiety is caused by something that is reasonable, is as real to us as the nose on our face. Whether it's actual or made up, whether something's actually threatening you, whether something's actual, like material in front of you, or there's some real looming danger, or it's all in your mind, it doesn't matter, it's as real to us as the nose is on our face. And while there are healthy doses of fear that are designed, given to us by God, like these impulses to keep us healthy and safe, much of what we deal with is not healthy. Much of what we deal with is not beneficial to us in any way. In a room this size, those of you watching online, there's got to be somebody who's dealing with crippling phobias or emotional disorders. This is a real challenge. And Scripture has a lot to say about fear and worry, in, in case you haven't looked. The Scriptures are full of it. In fact, there are said to be something like 500 mentions of fear in Scripture. The command fear not is said to be in the Scriptures some three, at least 365 times. That is once for every day of the week. So you can structure your quiet times so that you're encountering a different text on fear each and every day the scriptures are full of it fear not don't fear one of the more common ones is philippians chapter 4 verse 6 through 7 don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell god what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience god's peace which expe- exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live through christ jesus uh we've Many of us have engaged with this text. Can I tell you a secret, though? I have issues with this text. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I find this text really, really comforting, and it settles me down and reminds me of what my soul has forgotten as I'm faced with what I'm afraid of. But, But probably a lot of the times, though, I am annoyed by this passage. I'm frustrated by it because it feels like in my darkest, most fearful moments, somebody's giving me a pat on the head. You know, when a kid comes up with, and, and they talk to you about something they're afraid of and it's just outlandish and ridiculous, you go, oh, don't worry about that. It's going to be all right. I feel like sometimes the scripture's patting me on the head. It's not quite in touch with the reality of the terrifying nature of what stands before me, I got issues with this text. Am I the only one? Because after all, the Bible is Bible's full of don'ts: don't don't murder, don't don't steal, don't don't lie, don't 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 fornicate. And as hard as those things might be for us, they are totally within our power to control. Right? As much as you might want to slap somebody, the scripture said, "Don't slap somebody." You go. I, I guess I can control that. I won't slap someone. As attractive as somebody else is, that's not your spouse. You say, I can control this. I won't sleep with that person. As hard as that might be, I can manage that. But but, but fear, don't fear. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. I Don't mean to be irreverent toward the scriptures. But sometimes that sounds like somebody's giving me advice. That they they that they haven't experienced themselves. That sounds like something somebody would say who hasn't been afraid. It sounds like something somebody would say who hasn't dealt with worry. It sounds like somebody who hasn't been anxious. Sometimes it sounds silly to me when I'm faced with what I am afraid of. Am I the only one? That is to say, if I could turn fear off, just show me the switch. Where is it on my back? Which ankle is the switch on to turn it off? Fear to me seems like a physiological, emotional response to some external stimulus that is frightening me. If I could turn it off, Lord, I would turn it off. It doesn't make sense to me because the way I see it, nobody wants to be afraid. Maybe for a few minutes as I walk through the haunted house, maybe. Maybe at the highest point of that scary roller coaster. Ah! But I want it to be over when I get off the ride, see? Nobody wants to be afraid. And so if you're dealing with fear this morning and worry this morning and anxiousness this morning, I want to, I want to validate that. We haven't done a good job as a church validating these real issues that people deal with. We've tried to rush people past their fear, rush them past their word, pat them on the head when they need some discourse, some real help from the Scriptures. I hear you. I see you. God hears you. He sees you. And hopefully we can get some help from heaven about our fear, about our worries, about our anxieties. The Spirit is here to bring help. And so we need to unpack this this morning. And I plan to do that this morning in a message that I'm simply calling Why Are You Afraid? Why Are You Afraid? I'm going to be in a passage of scripture this morning in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you can meet me there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. The scriptures will be projected on the screens. You can also interact with your own Bibles or your phones or your tablets while you find Mark chapter 4. Let me pray. God in heaven, we thank you for yet another opportunity to gather and to worship you. The worship team has set the atmosphere so that we might lean in, put our legs underneath your table, and feast on whatever you serve today. Give us a posture to hear, a posture to receive, a posture to respond to what you would say today. And Lord, it's not lost on us that as we sit here comfortably today, our dear brothers and sisters in Ukraine are afraid for their lives. It's not lost on us that uh, someone is using military might to disrupt the lives of powerless people. And you hate that, Lord. You're bothered by that. You're concerned by that, and it should concern us. And so, Lord, we offer up prayers of petition on behalf of our brothers who are fleeing for their lives. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom would break through. And that you would lift up a standard against anybody who raises their arm against those who can't defend themselves. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for the church in Ukraine that they would rise up and be witnesses and serve the people there. Our hearts, our thoughts, our prayers are with our dear brothers. And Father, as we engage your word today, we ask that you would surround us, that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move me, the preacher, out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Mark chapter 4, we'll start at verse 35, reads as follows. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the winds and waves obey him. It's a short text, but it's a powerful one. And if you've been around church any length of time, you might have engaged on multiple occasions with this text because it's a familiar story. It's contained in three of the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. And I like Mark's telling of the story because it provides some helpful details that the others leave out. Jesus says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. They get in a boat to start out. But soon as they're in the boat, a fierce storm comes. Waves are breaking into the boat. It's beginning to fill with water. Now, you can use your mind's eye, if you will, to recreate this distressing scene. And some of you kind of feel your anxiety levels rising up because you don't really mess with water like that, right? It's all you can do to just take a bath, but to get into a boat and cast out in an unpredictable body of water. Some of you say, thanks, but no thanks, right? And so we've been discussing in this series the figurative storms of life, and here these cats are in an actual life-threatening storm, and they are losing their minds. They are absolutely losing their minds, and I don't really blame them, do you? But this passage is really important, especially given the subject matter, because this text can teach us a lot about ourselves. Hopefully, this passage can teach us a lot about Jesus, and hopefully, this passage can teach us a thing or two about fear. I want to highlight three observations from this text, and hopefully, it can help us deal deal with this subject of fear, anxiety, and worry. The first thing I see in this text is that Jesus isn't concerned about the storm. It's really, really important. There's a little asterisk there that I'll get to a little bit later. Jesus isn't concerned about the storm. To put it a different way, Jesus is, in a word, unbothered. Mark sets the stage for this crazy storm, but Jesus was not concerned. How do we know that Jesus was not concerned. Verse 38 puts it very plainly. Jesus was sleeping. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't sleep when I'm scared. I don't sleep well when I'm anxious. I don't sleep well when I'm consumed with worry, when I feel like my life is being threatened. I do not sleep. And yet, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Jesus is knocked out, snuggled up with a pillow. Where would he get the pillow? I don't know. But Jesus is out cold. His disciples are hard. They're trying, to, they're trying to make sense of all this. They're looking at the storm. They're looking at Jesus. They're looking at the storm, and they're looking at Jesus. And they've only reached the conclusion. they reach reached two conclusions. One, we're about to die. But the other conclusion they reach is that Jesus doesn't care about us. Jesus doesn't care what's going on because I'm looking at the storm and I'm looking at my Savior and the brother is asleep. Those are two conclusions that they reached in the chaos of it all. Jesus is sleeping through this storm. Now, I told you, Jesus isn't concerned about the storm but he is concerned about his guys. And they make the mistake that since Jesus isn't concerned about the storm, he must not be concerned, he must not be concerned about us. But what they don't know is that what Jesus knows is that this storm ain't going to take him out. In other words, Jesus looks at the storm and says, "This doesn't rise to the level of something that I would be worried about. This doesn't rise to the level of something that would disturb my sleep." He says, "I'm not concerned about this storm." And this is really, really helpful because I'm— lear- I want to say I've learned, but I'm learning to only be concerned about the things that God is concerned about. I remember as a little boy, I learned to take note of what my father got anxious about. That is to say, if he didn't get anxious, then I thought, I think we were all right. I look out and somebody's causing a fuss, and I started to panic. I look at my dad. He's cool. He's got one hand in his pocket, Coca-Cola in the other hand, oh, we're cool then. We went to the store one time, and somebody got sideways with my dad and started threatening him. We got in the car. We used to have, you know, the club, that uh, anti theft device? <laughs> you know, if it's unlocked, it breaks into two pieces. We got in the car, he locked the doors, he broke the club in half, and he gave me one part of it. <laughs> I got anxious then because I thought. <laughs> but as long as he was cool, I was cool. And I'm learning, I'm learning rather than keeping my eyes on the storm i'm learning to ask myself is this something that like jesus would be concerned about now i know that sounds like preacher talk but it's it's really the way we end up managing fear and anxiety and worry this storm did not rise to the level of what would get jesus worked up much less woke up waves are lapping into the boat And I don't want to take any liberties with the text, but Jesus is probably wet at this point. And yet, our first observation is that he is categorically unbothered. And I want to be like that. I want to sleep like that. I want to be unbothered by the boogeyman's of life. Real or imagined, I want to be unbothered in that way. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to get to a place where you're not scared when scary stuff comes your way. It is a hard place to get to. But Jesus was unbothered sleeping but he was bothered by his disciples reaction to the storm he was bothered by their reaction to the storm in other words it mattered to him that they were afraid and whenever you get to thinking that god doesn't care about you and god doesn't care about what you're going through he absolutely does just like you get concerned when your kids are scared of something small, when you're standing right there, just about just how you may be preoccupied with what it says about their opinion of you and your ability to protect them, when they're scared of something that you could easily squash, Jesus is bothered that they are bothered. Let's make no mistake, we've. We've interacted with enough scriptures to know that the disciples, listen, they are all thumbs about a lot of stuff. They rarely get anything right. But they get one thing right in the midst of their worry and fear. They get one thing right, and that is that they bring the matter to Jesus. They bring the matter to Jesus. Now, you would guess by Jesus' response that, like, He didn't want to be bothered with this. You might wrongfully conclude that this is the last thing that Jesus wants to deal with, but if they got one thing right, they bring the matter to him. They wake him up. Say, Jesus, don't you care about us? What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do about this? Which brings us to our second observation Jesus deals with the matter. Jesus deals with the matter. They wake him up, as our kids sometimes wake us up over silly things. I wake up and there's a kid in my face pulling on my eyelids. Daddy, you awake? And they see my frustration and they go, you know, never mind, never mind, Daddy. No, 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 no. I'm up right now. What do you want? Oh, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus says, I'm up right now. I'm up, so I'm going to deal with it. What's the problem? Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, What are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus wakes up, and his response to them and the matter at hand was rebuke. Now we don't like rebuke. But this is the method that Jesus chose. He woke up with a rebuke. And he has two rebukes in hand. The first, he rebukes the circumstance or the storm. And the second rebuke, he holds for his disciples. First, he rebukes the storm. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence be still, and suddenly the wind stopped. And there was great calm. Jesus woke up and demonstrated his mastery and command over the elements. Powerful, right? But he's not done rebuking. What does he do next? He rebukes his disciples. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now these feel to me like rhetorical questions. I don't think Jesus was like waiting for an answer. This feels like one of those parental, like, scoldings, discipleship moments where they're just supposed to sit with this question for a minute, but clearly Jesus doesn't approve of how they're carrying on here. These questions don't require an answer. Jesus already knows the answer. They already know their answer. They're the kind of questions that are designed to express, indirectly express disapproval to provoke introspection and deep thought and reflection. These rebuking questions hopefully had this sort of effect. And what I hear Jesus saying as I read between these lines, bro, if you see me sleeping, we must be all right. If you see me snuggled up in the corner with a pillow, deep in that REM sleep, we must be all right. And yet, you are afraid. Why? Don't answer, but just think about it. And some of us need to wrestle with that question right now because sometimes our fear doesn't cause us to go into the deep reflection that we need to do to sort of unpack what got us here. The fear is the symptom. The the fear is what we're feeling, but there is a root to that thing. But sometimes we never, never do the work of getting down to the bottom of it. Some of us are naturally fearful because the way we are wired, the way God wired us for his glory and for the well-being of other, other people, our empathy, our tenderness, or whatever he made us to be, sometimes it makes us prone to worry. Some of us are fearful because we've been nurtured toward worry. Maybe we grew up with anxious parents or we grew up in an unstable environment or there was a lot of trauma and chaos around us. And so we were spiritually and emotionally formed a certain way to have a certain predisposition, and we've never done that work of unpacking that. Others of us, there were events. You were fine. You, you, You were confident. You were stable. But something happened or someone happened. And now your natural response to triggers that are similar or any other thing that goes bump in the night is fear, worry, and anxiety. And for some of you, it has wrapped itself around like a, like a vine. It has wrapped itself around how you live and how you love and how you relate to others and how you relate to God. But some of us have never done the work because we've never asked ourselves, why am I afraid of this small thing? Why am I afraid of this thing that nobody else is afraid of? And that's not to trivialize it, but I'm just saying we haven't done that work. And Jesus, I believe by the Spirit, is asking us this question. It's rhetorical. He doesn't want us to talk back to it, but he wants us to wrestle with it. Every deadline at work, like every project just like disrupts your whole like thing. Whenever you got to go home for Thanksgiving and deal with your, your parents, all of a sudden you can't, you can't sleep. You're not yourself. Every time that person comes, or, comes around or every time you in, engage with that, it, it throws your life, and we've never. Why are you afraid? And so this loving, faithful, gentle rebuke is for all of us today survey why we're afraid and some of you as you ask yourself that question you know like you say because of this because of that others you say man I never thought that deeply about it good you've got homework Jesus says why are you afraid but he follows that question immediately with another question do you still have No faith. Jesus is saying, in a sense, like, we've been through this faith issue before. We've been through this before. But it's worth noting that the disciples didn't know Jesus in this way yet. They've seen him preach and be impressive there and have the command and attention of crowds. They've seen him heal diseases and so maybe they had faith for the word going forth powerfully and Jesus having all this swag to command clouds, crowds. And they may have even had faith now to see Jesus heal. But they, but they hadn't been in this situation yet where the, where the elements were pressing in. I say that because some of us are new to fear. Because some, the thing that's in front of you, you haven't seen before. And because you haven't seen it before, you haven't seen God move yet. And and, and so there's a faith issue. But to your credit, you haven't seen God move in this way just yet. And so Jesus is asking us, why are you afraid? Why don't you have faith that I can help you with this? He's not being mean. He's giving us some Jesus therapy, though. He's not being rude or dismissive. He's not casting us away, but yet he's dealing with the issue at hand. He's dealing with the matter. And something happens when Jesus starts rebuking stuff. Something happens when Jesus commands the elements and they listen. Something happens when Jesus asks these pointed rhetorical questions to decide. A shift occurs. That's our third thing I see. A shift occurs. And this shift causes the disciples, and hopefully it causes us to gain what we need most whenever we are tripping, and that is what? Perspective. The shift happened last week when the psalmist gained some perspective after he went to worship, after he went into the sanctuary. He began to see that which he couldn't see before. Something about an interaction, a powerful encounter with Jesus caused him to see things differently. And that's what they gain, And over and over we will discover that perspective is going to make the difference in how we walk through the various episodes, the trials, and the seasons of life, whether it's success, whether it's disappointment, but perspective especially is necessary if we are ever to overcome fear. Heaven's vantage. Heaven's perspective. This is an interesting observation, one that should not be overlooked. Jesus is sleeping. He's unbothered by the storm. He's awakened by his panicked disciples. He rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes them. And this is the best thing that could ever happen to them. It's the best thing that could ever happen to us because notice their reaction. The disciples, verse 41, were absolutely terrified. Wait, they're scared again? This passage isn't five verses long, and it's twice that we discovered that they are terrified beside themselves with fear. But the fear is different this time. They were terrified. Who is this man, they ask, that even the wind and waves obey him? They are scared yet again. They are terrified yet again. But at first, it starts out that they're afraid of the storm. Something happens, and now they are afraid of Jesus. But it's not the boogeyman fear, though. It's like that reverent fear. It's like the the, the good terror. Like it, it's still kind of scary. It's still kind of disheveling, but but it's like it's a good kind. Reverent fear, awe and wonder. The kind that begets, if God before us, what can come against us? The kind that begets, "Even if this thing takes me out, nothing can separate me from his love. This is that awe and wonder, right? They see him in a new light. This is forever with them. Do you think they will ever stop telling this story? And Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves that were lapping into the boat. And they ceased What happened to the winds and the waves? They recognized that voice that spoke to it in the beginning. And they said, this is a bad man. One thing to preach a good message to thousands of people. Another thing to heal somebody, but to speak to the rain, the waters. This is a bad man. What happened? object of their fear shifted because they beheld the power and might of jesus they began to fear jesus reverent fear instead of the storm now again They didn't put this all together, like who Jesus is. They didn't have a great theology of Jesus' might and power. All they knew is that which was scaring us listened to him. That which kept me up at night listened to him. That thing which bothered us so much didn't bother him, maybe because he knew He had power over it. I want us to sit with this. Because Jesus did not calm the storm to save their lives. And I say that because a lot of times Jesus won't speak to that, the storms in our life. They won't move. They won't change. They won't be quieted. Don't fear that. But he did this to demonstrate his power to say, don't fear that, but fear me. How does this sit with you today? What is your storm? What are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What has you panicked? Why have you not been yourself for a while? What little trapdoor of fear and worry can the enemy climb in whenever he wants to disrupt your life? Jesus said, Why are you afraid? He's not trivializing our fear. That's a real question. Say, preacher, that's a cool story and everything, but. How do we walk this out? First way we walk this out is to have a deep and abiding understanding, a knowledge that Jesus wants you to be free from fear and anxiety. Maybe you haven't heard that yet. Jesus wants you to be free from worry and anxiety, but you need a plan. And I feel like these three things are from the Lord for us today. You need three things. First thing you need is a closer walk with Jesus. A closer walk with Jesus. Now, you might mishear me as saying you need to come to church more. Trust me, you need to come to church more. But that's not all I'm saying. Because the disciples were literally in the boat with Jesus. And yet, being proximate to him was not enough to keep them from being afraid. So I'm not just talking about proximity and nearness to the things of God. I mean a closer walk with Jesus where your eyes are on him as you walk. Now that includes a nearness and a proximity to the things of God, the people of God, worship services, devotion, the scriptures, the spiritual disciplines. It certainly includes all those things, but some of us have been near to the stuff of Jesus without being near to Jesus. And I know what it's like to be near to the stuff of Jesus without actually walking with him. I know from personal experience. And it's a lot of work without any of the freedom, (laughs) without any of the peace, without any of the joy, without any of the steadiness that comes with a life with Jesus. Some of you need a closer walk with Jesus so that you might taste See and therefore have something to fall back on and remember when the storms are raging in your life. And some of you, if you're honest, your relationship with Jesus has waned in recent months and years. And there's no wonder why you you can't withstand the slightest wind, the slightest temptation, the slightest thing that goes bump in the night terrifies you. Why? Because some of us have forsaken our walk with Jesus. A closer walk with Jesus. The second thing we need is a closer walk with others. A closer walk with others. And by others, I mean Christian community. And you might roll your eyes and say, there you are, talking about... Community, again, small must, groups must be starting again. Yep, they start this week. Don't roll your eyes, though. Uh, I'm not ashamed that we are a, we are a two-trick pony. We, we've got nothing to offer you here but Jesus and Christian community. If you're looking for something slicker than that, that's all we got. And everything's going to come back to get close to Jesus. Everything's going to come back to, to get close to people who are close to Jesus. That's all we got. You say, what's the point of that? Aren't we talking about fear? Yes, I need to walk with them, folks who aren't scared of the things that scare me. You better hear this, preacher. I need to walk with somebody who's not afraid of that which frightens me. I need to walk with some folks who have used to be afraid of what frightens me, who've had some measure of freedom in their life they've overcome. I need them to tell me their story as many times as I need to hear it. I need to walk with some folks who are full of faith when mine is gone. That's what I need. I need to walk with some folks who can point me to truth about who Jesus is and who I am when the lie is what I've believed. And you can't get that at home. You can't get that on your couch. I need some folks to carry me to Jesus if I'm too scared to walk on my own. I need some folks who will sit with me in the dark. And who will remind me of what the storms of life have caused me to forget. And I'm getting emotional because my whole life, my whole life, I'm a church kid. My whole life, there have been people in my life, man, that that I can go to when I don't know which way is up. When I'm scared and when I'm confused, I've, ne- I've never walked alone. I've never walked alone. This is all I know. So I'm not telling you something I read somewhere. I'm telling you something that I've walked through. And if you would be honest with yourself, the whole Lone of Christian thing, that's not working for you. You got any zest in your faith walking alone? Any swagger, like any, any confidence in Jesus doing the long ranger thing? How's that going for you? God gives us Jesus and he gives us each other so that we don't have to walk through this alone. Worship team, you can come up as I give you the third and final thing. You need freedom to explore and pursue the various means of healing and fear management. You need freedom to explore and pursue the various means of healing and fear management. Pray for healing and breakthrough. We're gonna do that every time. You can come up, you can come up every Sunday. We'll pray for you every Sunday, and you might get a breakthrough that way. But the Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. That the earth is the Lord and everything in it, including doctors, including counselors, including therapists, including medication, if you should need it. I know there's a stigma on that stuff, especially in the church, but just can we do away with that sealiness? if You broke your arm, would you go to the doctor? If you fell off a ladder, would you get some professional help? Maybe you need to hear it from somebody you trust. It's okay to see a counselor. It's okay to see a therapist. Maybe you just need to hear it. It's okay to get some medication if that's, if that's, if that's what works for you. God, in all of his creation and, and, and ingenuity and creativity, like, he can work through that stuff. I guess what I'm saying in a nutshell is, like, you should pursue whatever means are healthy and legal Somebody say legal. (laughs) If you got to sneak around, do it, don't do it. If you got to knock three times (laughs) on the door and spin around before they open it, get out of there. But Jesus wants to free us today. And your freedom might not come the way you expect it. But Jesus his people, and the other God-blessed ways that God permits us to pursue freedom and manage these things that are eating our lunch, I believe that the Lord smiles on those things. He blesses those things. And there are people in this room who are benefiting from those and pursuing health and healing because they've given themselves permission step outside of that box who needs a closer walk with jesus today who needs a closer walk with christian community now let me tell you something small groups start this week now if you're our leaders this is a no-brainer we expect you to be in a small group unless you have a really good reason to do so But those of you who are here who are just loosely connected, your only connection with this church is Sunday morning. Listen, you are leaving a lot of money on the table. There's stuff that God wants to do in you and through you, through the vehicle of Christian community. And we can't go as deep as we need to go on Sunday mornings. And so you need to find yourself in somebody's small group as a spiritual discipline. As a spiritual discipline. Take that as a challenge. And some of you, like when you leave this place today, you need a, It's worth a Google, Christian counselors, therapy that might help you lean into this. Why don't you stand with us as I close? We're going to continue in worship. But I want to pray over us. Come, Holy Spirit. My presence is already here. Your spirit's already moving in this place. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would release whatever we need to walk in freedom. Show us how to walk with you. Show us how to walk with others. Free us from the bondage of our fear and worry and anxiety. as we sing this final song, I pray that the words would minister to us and you would continue to till the soil of our hearts.